Hello and welcome to the Elsa Kurt Show. I'm your host, Elsa Kurt. Get ready for a great show. I am going to deliver a great show today, not because of me, but because of my guest. Today, I have author Nikki Goser, who has written the book, Stalked and Defenseless, a true story, a harrowingly true story about her husband's murder by her stalker. Uh, Welcome to the show, Nikki. Thank you so much for coming on. Hi, Elsa. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. So I have been listening to your book. I have it on audiobook and I've been, you know, driving with it, listening to it everywhere. And, um, you know, I'm finding myself like gripping the steering wheel as I'm listening to this story. Um, walk us back to uh, 2009. Is is that correct? Is that when this happened? Okay. Uh, yes. If you could walk us back to, to, to then and uh, tell us a, a little bit about your story. So back in 2009, my husband, Ben and I, uh, we were newlyweds. We had only been married for a little over a year, but we operated a mobile karaoke business. It's kind of a side job. Um, We both had regular jobs, but this was actually more of a hobby. Um, You know, we'd get some extra grocery money, but uh, it was fun. It was a hobby. We enjoyed it. So we ran our karaoke equipment various karaoke nights around Nashville, Tennessee, different venues. And there was a man who was a karaoke customer. And um, first, we just thought he was a tourist. You deal with lots of tourists. They come in and out of Nashville. But he started coming in for karaoke nights more often. And we figured he must live here. And um, I remember Ben introducing him around the room to try to make him feel welcome. And this guy... He started taking an unhealthy interest in me, I guess is what you would say. It was apparent to me that he had a crush on me. He was sending me messages over my social media. Um, At the time, it was MySpace. And I used that to retain our customer base, to communicate with regulars, let them know where we would be doing karaoke nights. And eventually it got to a point where I had to delete him and block him. And this man continued to come to karaoke nights, but he was no longer singing. He would just stand in the middle of the crowd and stare a hole through me. And Ben asked him to please leave me alone. Obviously I showed my husband the messages that this this man had sent. And uh, Ben just told him, look, I read the messages. I read what you had to say about me because he was being pretty disparaging about my husband. And he said, look, just leave my wife alone. And this man went into this diatribe about how he has a crazy ex-girlfriend. Somehow she knew how to hack into his account. And the messages were actually from her, not him. Of course, Ben did not believe that phony explanation. And I guess he told him he didn't believe him and just said, look, leave Nikki alone. And this man, I don't even like saying his name, but I'll tell you, his name was Hank. And I just knew his first name. He ended up leaving that night and we didn't see him again, I want to say, for at least a solid month. And then he shows up at Johnny's Sports Bar, which is a good 30-minute drive away from downtown Nashville where this man normally went for karaoke nights. 
So I've deleted him. I've blocked him. I want nothing to do with him. Ben has asked him to leave me alone. What's he doing here? He just drove all this way out here. And for what? And I realized at that point, this man is stalking me. And I went to get management and asked them for their help. I said, you know, he's stalking me. I need you to please get him out of here. Please have him removed. And when they confronted him and asked him to leave, he pulled a 45 from a shoulder holster under his jacket. And he shot my husband in the head. Ben fell to the ground and he stood over Ben and continued to fire six more rounds into him in front of myself and about 50 other patrons and security cameras. I will probably wonder for the rest of my life if I could have prevented that. Of course, I'll never know because I was denied a chance. I was stalked and defenseless at the time in my state of Tennessee. You were not allowed to bring a legal permitted firearm for self-defense into any restaurant if they happen to serve alcohol. So being a law-abiding citizen, I obeyed that law and I left my gun that I normally carried for self-defense locked inside of my vehicle that night. The man who was stalking me did not have a permit to carry, brought a gun into a gun-free zone illegally, and obviously he cared nothing about the laws uh, against murder. And um, I've tried to educate people as best as I can mm -hmm. since this happened about the dangers of gun-free zones and the dangers of stalking and trying to give legislators ideas on how to improve laws to try and help protect people. Um, I'm a huge supporter of the Second Amendment. A lot of people, I guess, are somewhat surprised that I would be pro-gun when, I guess, they call Ben and I victims of gun violence. I just call it violence. You know, violence mm -hmm. is a, it's a behavior. It's not an object. Quite frankly, when police searched his vehicle at the crime scene that night, they found two more guns, ammunition, a baseball bat, binoculars, gloves, rope, and a knife. That man had lots of different ways to harm or kill people. And the intent, intent to do it, too. I mean, clear intent of what he was potentially going to do. Uh, it's just, you know, I have so many emotions listening to you tell this story and, of course, listening to, to the book. And one of them is just on your behalf, rage, just pure rage and disbelief. Uh, you were you were already at that point a concealed carry permit holder. Um, so you legally could carry, but because of legislation and absurd laws, you did not have the ability to uh, even have a chance to defend you or your husband or the patrons in this place because of legislation, because of, you know, nonsensical uh, rulings that are just all bureaucratic bureaucratic BS, really. Um, what struck me right from the beginning of your story is that you have taken something so horrific, something that so many people probably could never recover from, move on from, wrap their brain around uh, any of the things. And you made a choice to take something so horrific and use it as a catalyst for advocacy, for what you believe in. And of course, what you believe in is, is our right to, to carry and to defend ourselves. And another amazing point you made that, you know, we, we all kind of stand up and cheer about is that the rule breakers, the criminals, they don't 
obey the gun laws. And this has been a huge part of your platform, I think, correct? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And now that uh, spurned you to create or be a part of the crime research. Can you tell me a little bit about the what you're doing right now? Sure. I'm executive director for the Crime Prevention Research Center. We're a nonprofit organization and we look at changes in laws across the nation and how they impact crime and crime rates. Wow, that's a, um, an amazing thing and it's so necessary. Tell me about what kind of, because of course, you know, we talk about legislation and they're, you know, they make everything difficult. Uh, what kind of pushback do you get from the anti-gun groups? Are, are they uh, pretty aggressive with their, with their fight there to keep guns out of law-abiding people's hands? I mean, we know the answer, but I want to know what you're dealing with firsthand. Uh, yes, especially moms demand action. Um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, I don't mind someone having a, a different take on things from me. You know, we can agree to disagree. Um, but a lot of times these people, um, these anti-gun advocates will come to the legislature and they'll sit in these committee rooms. And if someone like myself or Dr. John Lott, or Gun Owners of America, or whoever, Second Amendment Foundation, NRA, or quite frankly, other victims of violent crime who are pro-gun. Unfortunately, these people will um, snicker and call people names, you know, behind them. I've experienced it myself. I've I've seen this happen in committee. And um, it's very disrespectful. You know, you can have a different uh, opinion. But be respectful of others. I try to be respectful of them, you know, because obviously they have victims on their side who do blame guns. They hate guns. They don't understand why anyone would ever want to own a gun. And, um, you know, that's fine. They can have that opinion. But I'm going to be there to let those legislators know my take on things and why I feel the basic human right of self-defense is so important and we should not be passing laws that really only impact good law-abiding people. These, these laws like waiting periods, that one just mm-hmm. drives me nuts. Because quite frankly, anyone who's, done, that. Yeah, anyone who's done the work and has actually read some of these manifestos, because mostly these people are concerned about mass public shootings, right? Um, they're concerned about domestic violence instances too. But... Quite frankly, you know, as far as mass public shooters go, their manifestos, their diaries, these things they leave behind with all of their writings show these evil people plan this stuff well in advance. I'm talking months in advance, if not years. Quite frankly, a waiting period is not going to deter that type of person at all. What a waiting period will do is prevent a victim of stalking, which could be a man or a woman, you know, men and women are stalked, but it'll prevent some victim of stalking, someone who is experiencing domestic violence, someone who is afraid for their life, for for their children's lives. It will prevent them from being able to get a gun quickly to be able to protect themselves when they need to. 
Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no question about that. Um, and you talked about in the book too, uh, the, the options that are given to victims of stalking and domestic violence, uh, which are things like get a restraining order, uh, move, change your name, change your, you know, suppress your address from public records, you know, all reactive things that uh, are essentially re-victimizing the victims over and over and over again instead of advocating for self-defense. And to me, that's infuriating. Like, why would you take away the tools for somebody to defend themselves? It's like you're saying you're not allowed to defend yourself. You must stay a victim uh, in society's eyes because we blame guns for everything instead of people. Um, and you've you've done a lot of work for that too, I believe, um, to to battle that. I think, right? Yeah, I I got really frustrated early on after all of this happened because you know I started just researching on my own some of the advice that so many of these um, you know stalking resource groups, women's rights groups, victims advocacy groups, all of the advice. And, and don't get me wrong, you know some of this advice may be needed. You may need to move. You may need to change your name. You might want to change your job, your whole career. But I got really frustrated that this is basically all the advice they give is basically that the victim has to change their entire life and live like a hermit. And I just think that they need to focus on other things as well. Give all of the options. And here's another one. You can go take a firearm safety class, learn gun safety, situational awareness, justifiable use of force, get your handgun carry permit or whatever the law is in your state where you can legally carry, and then get yourself a firearm and practice and continue with that training so that you can protect yourself and your loved ones. You know, it's no guarantee for your safety. But neither is a protection order, quite frankly. I mean, you might need to get a protection order. But all I'm saying is don't completely rely on a protection order. And as much as I support law enforcement, I don't think you should totally rely on law enforcement either. Because quite frankly, if you talk to any of these police officers, especially the rank and file police officers, they will tell you, we know we can't be anywhere and everywhere at any time. And most of them, I would say the majority of them, support good law-abiding citizens being able to carry to protect themselves and their loved ones because they've seen the worst of the worst and they don't want that to happen to good people. As as a law enforcement spouse, you are right on the nose with that. That is absolutely true. Um, you know, I carry. I My husband was, of course, uh, a big advocate of my being able to protect myself when he's not around. I mean, we have, uh, you know, as a spouse, we uh, has not as much as they do, of course, but uh, we have targets on our backs as well, just for simply being married to them. Early on when things were, had gotten really crazy uh, with uh, the anti-law enforcement world, you know, my husband had me take off my decal off of the back of the car with the thin blue line, you know, so as not to be as much of a target. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's that, you know, keeping 
people as perpetual victims instead of giving them or allowing them the tools, the added tools to protect themselves. And I so admire your very vocal and active advocacy for that, for victims being able to um, not stay in victimhood that that way. And you actually, I think you actually work with other uh, men and women, women uh, who've been victims of this type of uh, violence. Is that is that correct? Is that part of the organization you're with, working with other victims of violent crime? I, I actually do that on my own, <laughs> kind of separate. Oh, okay. Just- as oh, a, wow. a victim of a violent crime and of stalking. I honestly, I don't know if you ever watch Investigation Discovery Channel, but some of mm. those shows, actually, I have an episode on the ID channel. It's Obsession, Dark Desires, Season 1, Episode 7. It's called Serenade of a Stalker. And um, I tell you, I was kind of hesitant to, to do that filming, but I'm so glad I did now because... That one episode has reached so many people in the United States and in the UK. And I still to this day get emails from people, from women, um, mostly women who are victims of stalking and their concern for their safety. And, you know, at least here in the United States, in most states, not all, but I mean, we know that there's some that still make it very difficult in the U.S. You know, if a woman is in fear she can get her carry permit or constitutional carry or whatever, as long as she's law abiding, whatever their law is, she can carry. But think about these ladies in the UK. They feel totally helpless. You know, they really don't have a way to fight back and protect themselves. Um, women are at a huge disadvantage physically in general compared to men. And um, overwhelmingly it's usually men that are their attackers. And, um, I love men. I love good men. There are lots of good men out there Mm -hmm. that want to protect us. And um, they are truly our protectors and they're gentlemen. And I I love men like that. But there are some very bad men out there. And um, yes, I I don't know. I just started watching these ID episodes. And I learned of other victims and I started reaching out to them um, because most of them narrate the stories if they survive and um, or their family member will tell the story. You know, in in the case of I wrote an opinion piece at Town Hall and it's titled It Shouldn't Take a Bullet to the Head for the Criminal Justice System to Take Stalking Seriously. And I uh, co-authored that op-ed with a lady by the name of Debbie Riddle. Debbie had an ID episode. She narrated the story of her youngest sister, Peggy. And Peggy was stalked by her ex-boyfriend. She'd broken up with this guy, didn't want anything to do with him anymore. She knew that he was not right, and she felt her life was in jeopardy. She got a restraining order. She moved like over a thousand miles away to get away from this guy while she awaited trial. And he went and hired a private investigator. And he flew out there, and he found her, and he shot her and killed her, and then immediately shot himself and killed himself. That was in 2003. And it was horrific. And I just sat Mm -hmm. there listening to this story, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to reach out to her. And now we have an opinion piece that has reached a lot of people, and it's educating people. So I just try to do what I can because I realize that 
there are more potential victims out there. And we right. need to try to help. Uh, you're, making, you're making tremendous strides in, in doing that and accomplishing that. And and what a way to uh, honor your husband as well in his memory by um, doing something so impactive and powerful for others um, to, to use something, to use your grief and um, devastation to help others, I, I think is, you know, one of the most noble things you could possibly do. And especially in light of, and please correct me if I'm wrong, especially in light of the fact that your stalker is in prison currently and is due to be released in uh, 2028, I believe. And he is still able to harass you via letters. Is that correct? Yes. This man has still been stalking me. He's just doing it from prison now. I learned it was it was before the murder trial that I received the first letter from him. And what he does is I filed a wrongful death suit against him. And the attorney that represented me in that suit, um, of course, when they send these inmates the court paperwork for this stuff, the attorney's address is on there. So my stalker started sending letters to me through my attorney. He'd send them to my attorney. And of course, my attorney struggled with this. He's like, oh my gosh, you know, how do I tell her? She's going to be devastated. He knew darn well what it would do to me. And um, I think he sat on it for a few weeks, feeling terrible about it, but realizing legally he had to tell me. And he told me I ended up getting two letters before the murder trial. And I let the prosecutor know, the victim witness coordinator, the detective. I asked that extra charges be brought against him. I wanted it to stop. I needed a restraining order and I needed help. Nobody did anything. And finally, I just got to the point where I was like, you know what? I can't take this. So I told my attorney, please just don't tell me anymore. I cannot handle this. Just please don't tell me. That's how devastated I was. You know, Um, in hindsight, now I wish I had been strong enough at that time to not do that because I really, it's like you don't want to know, but you need to know so that you can develop a safety plan that you say so you can press have charges pressed like ignorance is not helping you know right yeah so now he has charges against him the feds have now charged him with federal stalking it's up to five years in a federal prison that's the max but you know what's sad even if he gets the max that's still not going to keep him locked away forever and The state of Tennessee has allowed him to earn early release good behavior credits, and they're not revoking them. I have asked over and over and over again in Tennessee Department of Correction and the prison warden, they're not revoking the credits. He's still getting out early, according to the release date. It is uh, so mind-blowing and infuriating, you know, all this time and energy spent on uh, gun control legislation work, and it should be dealing with, you know, actual criminals and uh, doing the the time and effort with making sure that system is all set. Again, I have to tell you, your story is so incredible. It is all of the emotions. It is gut-wrenching. Your love story with your husband is beautiful. 
and your loss is heartbreaking and devastating. And your journey through this is so incredible all the way up until this day till right now, today and in the future and everything that you're doing. I highly, highly recommend for everyone to read or listen to whatever the case is, whatever your preference is, Stalked and Defenseless by Nikki Gozer. Nikki, uh, where can everyone find you? I know we we have one of your sites on there at the bottom, but um, just let everybody know where they can find you and how they can be of service, be of help with this cause. Sure. Probably stalk my website, stalkedindefenseless.com is best. Um, I do have social media, but I keep it on tight lockdown unless I've met you. I'm not going to add you as a friend, (laughs) unfortunately. Yeah, that's the impact this has had. But I'm still a friendly person and, you know, I believe most people are good. So, but yeah, that's probably the best way to reach me. You can also visit our website at the Crime Prevention Research Center. It's crimeresearch.org. Perfect. Wonderful. Nikki, I can't thank you enough for coming on today and sharing your story and um, and just inspiring us with your with your incredible strength. Um, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You take care. You too. Thanks. All right, guys, that was the incredible Nikki Goser. Again, please go check out her book on Amazon. It is um, it is very moving. It's very powerful. So go check it out. And we will see you next time on the Elsa Kurt Show.